Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today and you are enjoying this holiday season. It is another beautiful day here in North Carolina, and this episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Jeremy Clevenger Fitness, who we featured on episode 145. If you haven't heard that episode yet, I encourage you to go back and take a listen, especially if you are struggling to get and stay in shape as a busy leader. I have another great show lined up for you today, but before we get started, I just want to remind you that it is the Christmas season, and I encourage you to consider giving the gift of leadership to the leaders and future leaders on your Christmas list. I've written three leadership books. They're called I Have the Watch, You Have the Watch, and All in the Same Boat. And you can get all three books for less than $50 on Amazon or my website, johnsrenny.com. They make the perfect gift to have underneath the tree or to mail to the leaders in your life. So get your order in today to ensure delivery before Christmas. Also, I wanted to mention that Deep Leadership is now ranked in the top 2% most popular shows out of 3 million podcasts globally, according to Listen Score. And also, we are now in the top 100 management podcasts in the U.S., according to Chartable. So I wanted to thank each and every one of you for listening in every week and sharing these episodes with your friends. You have helped this podcast grow into a top-performing show. So thank you very much. Well, that is it. Today we're going to be talking about going beyond servant leadership, and my guests are Bob DeCook and Phil Clampett. They are the authors of Leading with Care in a Tough World. So why is leading with care and servant leadership so important in today's business climate? Well, Bob and Phil show us the way in this eye-opening discussion. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Bob DeCook and Phil Clampett. Bob has over 40 years of diverse executive leadership experience, including 20 years leading the Bolt Company, a $1 billion construction services and real estate development company. Phil is an award-winning communication and information science professor at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay with over 40 years of experience in university teaching, groundbreaking research, and business consulting. Now, they're the authors of a new book called Leading with Care in a Tough World Beyond Servant Leadership, and I'm excited to have them on the show to talk about what we need to do to become more caring leaders in the current work environment. So, Bob and Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. We're happy to be here. Very excited to have uh, uh, the opportunity. Now, we're looking forward to this. It should be uh, a robust conversation. Absolutely. Well, I'm honored to have you on the show, and I'm excited about this book because it goes right down into the things I believe in, which is servant leadership, and I'm excited to get into it. But first of all, how did you guys become collaborators? How did a, a leadership practitioner and, and a professor get together and to, and to work together on writing books and, and promoting leadership? Well, that's an interesting story. It goes back almost 30 years now, actually. Uh, I was running a manufacturing operation, was looking for some help, outside help with consulting on communications and leadership. I don't 
know exactly how I was introduced to Phil, but I remember when I was introduced and we met and we talked and uh, I hired him to do some consulting. And we had this kind of moment of how we clicked. And after that, we worked together a little more. We said, boy, we had to write some things about that. So this is our third book together over that period and numerous articles in different journals and magazines. Uh, and it's been a wonderful uh, relationship. You have a story about that. that well, you might important. find this interesting because the first time I met Bob, uh, I was just finished my PhD and I had studied with the top people in the world on communication audits. And what Bob wanted me to do was to focus on how do you audit effectiveness of communication. And so uh, I went in and presented and showed him everything we did. And at the end of the conversation, uh, and these were from like, supposedly all this material was like how the top people in the field, my field had talked about it. And at the end of the conversation, Bob said, um, well, Phil, what does a world-class communication system look like? And I was, I stumbled through the answer and I, I drove home with my partner and said, uh, you know, um, I think I really blew that. But Bob called back the next day and we started talking and it was, uh, it was a good relationship after that. But I felt like I had just failed uh, all that uh, PhD work I had done. So I was <laughs> kind of humbled by the, the conversation, by his question. I was taken by it because it was a brilliant question. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I'm excited about talking with both of you and, and you guys collaborating on these books is that you're bringing um, this, you know, practitioner, leadership practitioner, uh, all this experience, all these years of experience, and then, you know, you're bringing the academic side of it together. So what do you think the benefits are of bringing both the academic and the practical uh, experience to the table for these these books that you write? So that's a very insightful question, and it really goes at the core of the structure of this third book. I always studied and worked on and tried to improve the practices of leadership that I was using. And after I met Phil and we started working together, he would always challenge me to say, well, underneath all of that, how do you really think about the principles of those practices that you're using every day. And you'll, you've noticed probably in the book that the book is decide, divided into two parts, the beliefs or how we think about leadership or how we need to think about leadership and the practices. And those two things together we think are should be inseparable because the beliefs without the practices is, you know, you're not gonna be able to implement. And the practices without the beliefs tend to be unsustainable. So that's what Phil has brought to my learning. And frankly, it's felt to me like a, a PhD program for my whole life as an executive uh, with a wonderful professor alongside of me. So that's my, that's my story. They're, Bob being very kind. Uh, a lot, we, I studied a lot of the things that Bob actually did. And, you know, a lot of academics, they don't uh, really get into the weeds of looking at what really happened. And uh, the most enriching part of that experience has been not only asking the questions, but doing uh, kind of traditional research on it. But uh, to me, one of the most important things that I learned was you read about a concept in a, uh, or you know, you'd read all the research on the, the concept, but then to see Bob actually do it 
you'd pick up nuances that are quite different than what the literature would say on it. And so um, I found that very interesting. And there were parts of this book in particular that Bob and I argued about a lot because I would watch him do it, but I, I would feel like we need to articulate it in a different way. And, and by observing him, I kind of understood these things in a very deep, deep, rich way that I never would have understood by just having my nose on a book and do uh, research on things. Yeah, that's outstanding. And I really do think that that's what, what makes this book special because it's, you're, you're bringing both the practical and the academic together. And I think that um, we need more and more of that because I think if you're pure academic, it, it's, it's interesting, it's valuable. Uh, but I think I think blending the two together, like you said, this is what here's how to think about something and this is how to do it. I think those things are really valuable for for leadership practitioners like myself, where we're we're looking for, okay, how do I do this now? You know, how do I put this in place? So, you know, my hat's off to you guys for combining those skills and uh, and experiences and putting this book together. Uh, one of the things you 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 taught you touch right on in the beginning of the book or right in the, the introduction is you say that, and, and this is something I talk about as well. You say Gallup uh, reported that only fifteen percent of employees in the U.S. are truly engaged in their work. And, you know, my question to you is like, what's wrong with business today? Why are such a small amount of people uh, actually engaged in work? Now, let me start on that. Um, <clears throat> I think it's because the leaders, the bosses, however you want to refer to them, are not thinking about how to handle the people with care. Uh, and that's one of the major reasons why we use this word care throughout the book and in the title of the book, because uh, care, I think, is a different kind of connotation than just the word servant. You can say I'm serving our, the people or I'm serving my people and doing what they need to get the job done. But when you care about them, it's a deeper articulation of the things that you're working with them on, like the coaching that you do to help them improve, the, the discussions that you have to help them see their apparent barriers in a different way so the barriers can come out of the way. Or when they're having rough times, either in their private life or even in their business life, they have a feeling that somebody's there that has their back and will help them through, not do the job for them. This is not a doing the job for those people, but it's a sense of care. And we think that word is not often used in the leadership circles. It's just not associated with leadership. There are a lot of other words that are, but care isn't. And that's why this is such a different platform to think about a deeper level of attention to people. Yeah, and it's, it's the interesting. Lack of that, the lack of that, we think, is what causes the disengagement because people feel it. They understand yeah. it immediately that the supervisor or the leader doesn't care deeply about what's on their mind. They yeah, know it immediately. Interesting you said that because I've I've interviewed two uh, Navy SEAL platoon commanders on the show and and both of them, to my surprise, said the number one most important thing uh, in leading a SEAL team is is the care of the team, the care care deeply 
for the team. You have their back. They have, and, and each of the members have each other's back. They care deeply. They love one another. They care for each other. And it's yeah. interesting that if, if hardcore Navy SEALs can say the word care, right? Why can't we as business leaders yeah. use that word? Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's great that you're, 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 you're promoting this in the book, the idea of leading with care. Uh, and like you said, you know, when people leave businesses, they say, well, my boss doesn't care. They doesn't, they don't care about me. You hear that all the time. Right. And this is why we have such a poor, uh, you know, engagement that we see in a lot of companies is this lack of lack of care. Uh, and, and, so, and maybe it's, maybe it's just because we've just published this book, but I think the word, care or lack of care is a terminology that's being used all over these days uh, in social circles and political circles in corporate circles that the comment is they don't care about what's going on. Mm, yeah. And that is, that's almost like a poison and it separates people in a way that it's hard to get them back if you don't get the caring back. Yeah, Absolutely. So the, the book is called Leading with Care in a Tough World Beyond Servant Leadership. First of all, who did you write this book for? Who should read this book? Well, um, we wrote it for kind of all levels of leadership. We wrote it for people that are aspiring to be leaders, which I deal with in the college classroom a lot. And we also wrote it for seasoned, uh, these, um, seasoned leaders that are looking for that last piece of the puzzle that they're looking for to, to excel. And um, to, to go back to your, your previous comment, my view is, is that the reason why we have such low engagement is one of two things. Number one, people have the right sentiment about caring or serving others, but they don't know how to do it. Mm. Or number two, they're doing it. They're doing all the things that you're quote unquote supposed to do, but they don't have the underlying belief structure to support it. They don't really care. They act like they care, but they really don't. And that's what Bob is talking about. And so I think, you know, if we're being realistic about human beings, sometimes we have to say, hey, we're going to act like we do something till it becomes part of our belief structure. I get that. But at some, at some level, if you end up doing like full collaboration, you end up disenfranchising everybody. So people act like they're collaborating, but they're really not. And over time, people recognize that and they know that. So the people we wrote it for is I'm helping those young people uh, that are a lot of younger leaders are saying, I believe it. I believe in this, but I don't know how to do it. But I'm also challenging the older leaders to say, do you really have the underlying core beliefs you need to support that behaviors, uh, those behaviors and skills that you have? So that was the dynamic we were trying to play with. And across a number of genres, right? Uh, certainly uh, the corporate world, organizations, profit and nonprofit. Uh, we think that... Uh, uh, the educational world can benefit from this. Any of the sectors in business, whether it be healthcare or manufacturing, or and then I think the political world can as well. It's not written to be a political book, but think about uh, leaders in our political arenas who would be able to convince people that they care more, or they listen better, or they make progress on issues. Uh, all of those things, uh, and across many genres, this book would would, would have a have a benefit. That makes a lot of sense. So, why uh, 
you know, we, we've seen a lot of books written on servant leadership. We've, we've, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a growing in popularity. We've seen a lot more than, you know, maybe the last 10, 10, 15 years, but why do we want to go beyond servant leadership? What does it mean when we say beyond servant leadership? Um, that was very intentional. Obviously it's on the cover <laughs> of the book. Um, servant leadership is, as I said before, it's about a, a point of view that, Leaders are there to serve the people, so it facilitates their ability to get their job done. And we say that's very important. All the things that Greenleaf originally wrote about in the original essay back in 1970, we prescribed to. But that's not enough, especially in today's world, because uh, a leader needs to care about those things focused on people, but he also, she also needs to care about outcomes and care about results. And they need to get both of them together. And oftentimes, and this goes back to the issue of engagement as well, oftentimes the focus is so heavy on serving people that you step back and hear people say, well, but we're spending all this energy there, but we're not getting the results. They need to care about the results. And the magic is to get the people engaged and juiced up about the importance and relevance of the results so they can convert their energies and their self-actualization and their contributions to engagement and contributing to the results and the both together is why this is beyond what we know of as traditional servant leadership. I love that. And uh, I write in my books that uh, it's the mission and the people. And you can't be too far on one end or the other. Otherwise, you're, you'll you struggle. And I think that uh, you're hitting the nail on the head. It's if we just take care of our people, then we're a charity, right? We're not, if we're a business and we're trying to run and, you know, make profit and, and, and have, we have a vision for what this company will be, we need to be focused on the mission as well as the people. And I think you're hitting it, hitting the nail on the head. It's that, that and word that's really critical critical and is an essential it's essential yeah Yeah. i love that so um you talk about five core leadership beliefs in the book we talk uh they are uncertainty progress values learning and caring um so i just want to kind of talk about a few of those um why should you know how should we be reacting to to the uncertainties of life you, you've got uncertainty as, as one of the key words here and uh look I'm, I'm i'm a entrepreneur i started a business seven years ago i've had a hell of a run in seven years a lot of things have happened in my life <laughs> in, in, in in this environment so i know about uncertainty so what how should we be thinking about it uh when it comes to uh the these uncertainties that we're going to face well, that's kind of one of my passions. In fact, the book we wrote before this, we had done. I did. We did a lot of research about uncertainty and how people are reacting. And you'll you'll find this interesting as an entrepreneur. We found out that that even if a person, an individual, an employee, does not personally like embracing uncertainty, all the other measures. They want their organizations to embrace uncertainty because they know the world is changing. And that doesn't matter whether it's uh, 
uh, a government agency or a for-profit or non-profit, et cetera, they want to work for organizations that embrace uncertainty because they recognize that the world is changing. So I, that was something that was that came out of our kind of a research background that we never, I never expected. I always thought, well, I don't like uncertainty. I don't want my organization to like it either. I want it to be, you know, everything's the same always. It yeah. didn't turn out to be that way. So it's fascinating that people actually, in terms of job satisfaction, in terms of commitment, all those types of things, they want to see an organization doing that. In terms of how you actually do that, um, I think that's the art form of a leader is that they have to start by saying, I embrace uncertainty. And it really starts with like having an inquiring, uh, questioning mindset of getting all the name, all the, the ideas around the table and making sure that all the different points of views are out there. A lot of people try to stamp out uncertainty. In fact, one of my greatest concerns of uh, about the way we talked about COVID was that we stamped out all the uncertainty rather than trying to embrace it and talk about it, even if we disagreed with it. So uh, it's a very interesting dynamic that way. And then the second thing you got to do is you got to listen to all those opinions and make sure that you're you're listening to them. And then third, find a way to integrate the most important ideas in a way that's, that allows you to move forward. And I think those are kind of, if you want a one, two, three step, although I don't think there's, it's necessarily one, two, three, that's the way we would encourage people to embrace uncertainty. Uh, and that, that that's the foundation of leadership. Good leaders are listeners. They're integrators and they're inquiry, they're inquisitive about what other people are thinking. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. This podcast is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger Fitness. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area they are lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. But how do you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best person for the job. Now, don't struggle on your own. Put Jeremy Clevenger on your team. Jeremy will work with you to help take your physique, mindset, nutritional habits, and more to the next level with his step-by-step, all-inclusive coaching program. Now, I've worked with Jeremy for the past year, and I'm in the best shape of my life. So if you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at jeremyclevengerfitness.com to find out more and get your initial consultation scheduled with him today. This episode is brought to you by the Fraternity of Excellence. The Fraternity of Excellence is an online and real-world community for men who are looking to improve in all areas of their lives. The men of FOE are working together to become better husbands, fathers, and leaders at work and in their communities. They live by a simple philosophy, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, I've been a member for more than three years, and for me, I finally found a brotherhood of men that I was missing from my time in the military. Now, I love being around guys who are dedicated to becoming a better version of themselves. So if you're interested in becoming a man of excellence as well, go to fraternityofexcellence.com 
or you can reach out directly to me to learn more. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electrocast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electricast. Yeah, I love that. And, and you know, I think there's opportunity in, in when you have uncertainty, too. I mean, I think like in my small company, we grew during during COVID because we could do things that the big guys couldn't do. And I think uh, so every time there's, you know, a challenge, it, it's also an opportunity. And I yep. think you're, what you said as well, too, is that you also want to rely on the collective wisdom of your team because, you know, in, a, in uncertainty, mm-hmm. one leader doesn't have all the answers. And, and if you're if you're engaging your team, you're going to get all those great ideas from the folks that work for you. And the behavior of the leader in that situation or in those situations is so important because when you're trying to collect that multitude of ideas from the team, uh, you don't want to let the loudest voices or voices in the room command the conversation. Mm-hmm. You want the silent ones who have the idea that they're afraid to talk about pop out and see the light of day because those ideas may be the ones that are the most important. (laughs) And the leader's job is to have all of that come out, give all of it equal weight at some point, and then coalesce it together in a way that brings consensus to the team and get the richness of everybody's input. That's, That's the magic. And when you talk about engagement of people, that creates huge improvements in engagement because everybody sees that they've had some influence on something. Yeah. No, that's great. I love that. And uh, it's, it's such a great, you know, it's funny because you don't really see people talk about uncertainty in a leadership book, but I love that you bring it up because it's such an important part of how we how we manage our teams and how we deal with it. And we're going to be in these in uncertain situations probably a lot more than we have in the past with the, yes. with everything that's changing so quickly. Um, one thing is that you, you mentioned progress. How should we think about progress from a leadership perspective? Yeah. So from a leadership perspective, progress is moving the ball. I mean, everybody, whether you're in a profit business, nonprofit business, nonprofit organization, or government, there are goals and objectives. Gets back to the mission, focusing on mission and people. You got to move the ball, and um, that takes. Um, getting all of these ideas, getting all of these different opinions, coalescing them together in a way that brings the best ones out and then focusing on them to make progress, as we say. And so that's the leader's job to get from point A to point B to point C, you know, as quickly as you can and bring the people with you. Have the people with you and behind you supporting that as completely as they can. Because then the results are going to be spectacular. And the other piece of that that's interesting is we look at progress in two dimensions. The first dimension is 
what I would call, we, we call it exploring, where you're innovating and doing things like you were talking about in your own company with COVID, and you're doing things differently that maybe the big guys don't do and other people. So you got the exploring component, and then you've also got the second type of progress, which is refining and taking what you already do and doing it better. So that's where you get the continuous improvement mindset. The one continuous improvement mindset is saying, let's just get better at what we're already doing and refine it, make it more productive, et cetera. The other is exploring and doing something entirely new. And so when we talk about moving the ball forward, you can move it forward by making incremental changes, or sometimes you make Move it, move it forward by embracing major changes and doing something fundamentally different. So that's what makes and and you know that the leader's job is to set those conversation and parameters of both of those two conversations, which are really quite different in a lot of ways. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. When uh, and I think you're right. I think that it's 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 the idea of not being stagnant, right? It's it's either either through exploring, or experimenting, or it's or it's or it's continuous improvement. But it's never standing still. And I like that. It's constant progress, moving you're moving your business forward. And it um, can be both. It can be. It, it often is both. You move from one to the other, and you refine, and then you need to jump to a new idea. And companies that are really good at it do both well. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. What, what about core values? Why are core values so important in leadership? Well, um, because they're really the things, the beliefs that, that we all have that set the tone for the judgments we make, the influences we have, and the intuitive reactions that we have to things. And we've, you can... Google values and you'll get hundreds of them. We picked out nine of them that we think are important. But if I were just to mention two or three, uh, you think about honesty and truthfulness or transparency or respect. Uh, I had a boss at Bolt, this chairman of our company, whose favorite axiom was, if you get the values right, everything else will follow. Mm. If you don't get the values right, you can't spend enough time to walk things back. So just think about that in terms of telling the truth. If, if people could rely on their leaders to tell the truth, be transparent about what's going on, tell them what they know, tell them what they don't know. And if there was a sense of reliability in that with people, you don't have to worry about whether the story is right or wrong because you have confidence it's right. If you don't have that confidence, if employees don't have that confidence, the storytelling occurs in the hallways and it starts to spin up into unbelievable problems. So if you get the values right, it's much easier and yeah. it's much harder if you get the values wrong. So yeah. you ought to get the values right. You ought to figure out what the values are going to be and you ought to live them every day. Yeah. And model yeah, that, them every day. That's that's where that's where trust comes in play. When you say these are our stated values and you act on those values, then you become a dependable boss and you're acting in accordance with your belief system. Right. It's when those get messed up, right? That's when people don't trust you because you say, you know, integrity is our biggest, you know, is really important to us. And yet we lie on a marketing document. Then people start seeing that and say, wait a second, this is not yeah. the company that I, this this is not the company I want to work for. It's, it's inconsistent. Right. The values and the actions are inconsistent. Right. And the judgment on that is with the people and how they feel. 
Because if you ask a group of leaders uh, whether they uh, live the values every day, most of them would say yes. And many of them probably do. But for those who really live the values every day, their people would say, yeah, they live the values every day. And I see it because they lead by example. And that's the difference of, is it really happening in an organization? That's the measure that we have to have. Are the values being followed? So one of the things you say here, and and I like this, you say that leaders need to be both learning and unlearning. I thought that was interesting. So learning and unlearning, what do we need to unlearn? <laughs> well, sometimes you need to unlearn what was successful in the past. Because yeah. what was successful in the past may not be successful in the future. I mean, if you want to go to a university example, a great, um, a great uh, lecturer uh, doesn't have as much currency now as it used to in a university because that, you know, a lot of us tried to perfect our uh, skills at uh, lecturing and make great lectures were very engaging, but that's not enough today. You've got to change. You, you have to, I'm not saying you have to unlearn that skill directly, but you certainly have to unlearn reliance on that skill. Mm. And uh, so, and I can think of any number of different examples of where, where things that have worked in the past do not necessarily work in the future, and you've got to unlearn what you're doing because it's a habit. That's why I think the focus we've always had in writing a book and then dealing with and dealing with the ideas was always let's try to identify the core stuff that you don't have to unlearn. And values is not is not something you don't necessarily have to unlearn, but how you implement those values might be something you have to unlearn to do that. So. I actually think that is one of the most important skills a leader can have and to say, and not to say that the old was wrong. It's oftentimes that it's no longer relevant. Mm. And I think that's, that's what I, we mean by unlearn. Yeah. That, I like that. And I like the way that you're, you're explaining that, which is, I think a lot of times we, 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 <laughs> I mean, we, as leaders, we we kind of go back to the bag of tricks that we know what works, right? And sometimes as, as conditions on the ground change, the competition change, the market changes, those don't, those don't work anymore. We pull that tool out and it just doesn't work. And so I think sometimes we have to rethink about how we how we get things done. And uh, and I really like that idea of maybe unlearning some of those things. Um, so, the, the you know, uh, we, we talked about caring a little bit, but uh, what do you mean by a tough world? What, what do you, why is, why should we be um, putting out caring more now because of the work environment? Well, it's got a number of dimensions. First of all, this idea of integrating care for the people and care for the results or care for the outcomes uh, is a tough thing to do in the first place. And competition is high in, in any business, in any organization. There's a lot of dissenting voices. There's a lot of critics that, you know, have opinions that aren't necessarily meant to improve things. They're just meant to be critical. And all of the leader operates in that environment. And that is a tough environment to operate in and still move the ball forward and still bring the people along. Um, the, The other thing is 
the conditions that we face these days are so much more strenuous, I think, uh, with social issues, with uh, activism issues that ripple over into the organizational environment. Again, whether it's corporate America or other organizations, and people develop opinions that they bring to their job that then have to be integrated into how leaders deal with those employees who come in with those varied opinions and they're part of how they think about the world and become part of how they work in the work environment and, and how they get engaged in the work environment. All of that is much more complicated and tough, I think, than ever before. And I don't see that getting any, any easier um, anytime soon. Yeah, and I think I think the other thing is there's no stigma attached to leaving the company now. So people are moving jobs a lot more frequently. So I think the the if we want to keep good people, we we have to be investing in them uh and caring for them and listening to them a lot more than maybe we probably did 20 years ago because there is the, the people are moving around and they're moving from job to job. They're going where they're uh, I have a friend that says, go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated, right? And so employees now say, well, if I'm not, you know, if I'm I'm just being tolerated here, I'm going to go someplace else. So I think I think that makes it harder to keep and maintain and uh, retain great employees when we have this, uh, you know, it's very easy for people to move around jobs now. Um, one thing I want to mention, just because uh, you, you brought it up, and I think it's in the book, and I think it's really important. I don't think we're talking about it enough, but... Um, do you, what advice would you have for leaders that are dealing with uh, activist employees or employees that are, um, you know, protesting what the company's doing or trying to bring their own value set into the organization, which may be inconsistent with the with the organizational values? What what advice would you give for leaders who are or concerned about that in their own teams? Well, I think, you know, on the one hand, you have to be sensitive to some of those external concerns. But on the other hand, you have to make sure that you don't disenfranchise other the people that may not have an opposing point of view. And what I see happening is that, you know, it's, it's like the loudest voice in the room sometimes yeah. gets the most attention. Uh, but there are other voices that will push back in other ways. So, when you're coming up with company policies to deal with these things, and every company is going to come up with a different policy and approach to a certain extent, you always have to respect uh, the other voices that are not maybe as vocal, perhaps because they don't believe in it, uh, perhaps they don't believe in it, perhaps they don't want to, they don't believe in the social signals, uh, social signaling that goes on, perhaps it's a religious belief or something like that. And the other piece you have to bring into to play is what, what your customers or clients are dealing with. It's one of the more difficult um, issues. And, and uh, to, to go back to the question you had before about the, the tough world, I think this is one of the things that makes it a tough world. And a lot of it revolves around what I would call a now focus of what the now issue is versus what the long-term issue is. And the tough world is balancing those two, whether it's dealing with these social movements which may have an arc to them in terms of where they go and learning how to balance that against the long-term interests of the organization. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's great. I'm glad that you guys bring that up because that's that's definitely an issue that 
we didn't see even five years ago. Now we're starting to see a lot more now play out in, in corporations and in, in small companies, big companies alike. So, uh, well, this has been a fantastic discussion, guys. I really appreciate you coming on the show. This this book is exceptional. Uh, it's called Leading with Care in a Tough World. And, and listeners, I really highly encourage you. It just came out. I encourage you to go find it and look it up because I think this these are the kind of things you want to be successful. You got to be focusing on those two things we talked about, which is the people and the mission and the big the 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 key key thing is that and that connection between the two and this book is going to help you be a more effective leader uh how can uh we how can people find out about you and this new book so john we have a website it's called leadingwithcare.net altogether leadingwithcare.net and uh it's a very rich website it's got information about phil and i it's got summary chapters of the book it's got uh, evaluation uh, surveys in the book. It's got a series of videos uh, that we've recorded already that introduce these different concepts. And it's also got sections on media and podcasts. So the podcast we've done and when yours gets posted, it'll be on our website as well as articles. We just uh, uh, had a, were fortunate enough to get an article in Inc. Magazine and on, on, on Forbes Magazine about the book. And so we're very excited about that. It's all on the website. So I don't, and, and information about how to order the book is also on the homepage. Um, it's available on all of the book selling platforms and it's fantastic. available in, it's available in audiobook and ebook as well. Okay. Fantastic. And uh, we'll put links in the show notes for that resource. And again, I've been through that website as well. And it's just fan. It's just chock full of information. Uh, and it's, it's great. Like you said, the videos and, and uh, podcasts, everything is in that one place. So we'll put a link in the show notes for that. And again, leaders, I encourage you to check it out, check out this book, check out those resources. If you want to be a better leader, right. And especially in this day and age, you need to read this book. You need to apply these principles. So, uh, Bob and Phil, thank you for coming on the show and sharing this new book, sharing all of your uh, experiences that you put into this book. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. John, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Good, robust conversation. You asked great questions. Some of them we could talk the whole, the last one you asked for, we could have talked the whole uh, time just about dealing with those social pressures because that's something we've talked about a lot. So great questions, very robust. Absolutely. It's it's good stuff. I love it. I hate that we're only a half hour show, but uh, but I really appreciate you coming on. And again, uh, thank you for bringing all the uh, all of your ideas in this new book uh, to, to the public, because I think this is really, really important uh, for leaders to read. So thanks again for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. 
Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. I like Airplane. I know you do, but WannaBet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid.